Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Do you ever feel frustrated? Well, your dog does. Frustration occurs when an animal is interrupted in reaching their goals. Unfortunately, this occurs all too often in the modern world when a dog's goals do not align with those of their human companion. This can be a source of distress for both you and your dog, but it can also lead to the development of problem behaviors and can damage the relationship that you have with your dog. But we have answers for you. Join us for a two-day in-person seminar October 5th and 6th with instruction by Daniel Shaw. Daniel Shaw is an animal behaviorist with a background in animal behavior, psychology, and neuroscience. He will be talking about what frustration is and how it can be identified, the difficulty of conventional approaches in resolving frustration, what influences the value of rewards, as well as supporting frustrated dogs and building frustration tolerance. You can buy early bird tickets now until August the 5th, and be sure that you join us for our pre-seminar social Friday evening where you can meet Daniel and the Dog Speak team. We look forward to seeing you October 5th and 6th in Nashville, Tennessee for the Neuroscience of Resolving Frustration in Dogs seminar. Hey guys, and welcome to the Dog Speak Podcast. I am Nikki Ivey, your host. I am thrilled that you are joining me to talk puppies, dog training, real life manners, and more. Be sure to check out our Facebook page as well as our website at dogspeak101.com. Hey guys, it's Nikki Ivey, your host. Welcome to episode 7. I want to do a quick little episode for episode 7 to help clear up some things when it comes to dog training. Um, I've had a lot of clients recently who've gone with some training techniques and trainers that were not fear-free or force-free. And I'm really bothered by these trainers and what they're asking clients to do with their dogs. And so I want to take the opportunity to really help explain the difference between K9 training and K9 training. And that sounds the same, doesn't it? So a lot of trainers that use aversive techniques claim that they are really good at what they do because they train canines and that is the letter k and the number nine now most people um, in the public believe that when people say that they train police dogs and that's really an amazing awesome thing well the fact of the matter is is that it doesn't matter what a dog does doesn't matter what job they have they're all canines um this is canine training is no different for a Belgian Malinois doing police work versus a Cavalier King Charles who's just a lap dog. It's all canine training. Okay, it's all dog training and it's all teaching the dogs. There's really no reason to use aversive techniques when training police dogs, military dogs, service dogs, search dogs, any dog that is is doing a job 
there's no reason to use aversive techniques. The fact that a trainer will claim that they use aversives because they train police dogs is just absurd. Um, I've seen plenty of police dogs being trained where aversive techniques are not being used. And as a matter of fact, you know, when you look at police dogs, they are trained to do several things. They are trained to respond immediately to a command. And uh, most of them are trained to find drugs, um, apprehension techniques, and sometimes even tracking or trailing techniques. So the job is basic manners, basic response, and then a couple of specialties. There's absolutely zero reason to use any type of aversives when training a dog to sniff out drugs. And there's no reason to use aversives to train a dog to do apprehension work. Um, This is something that just because you're asking a dog to do something that looks aggressive, that the training method must be aggressive. You know, when you look at the behavior and the expectations of military and police dogs, and we'll just go police dogs right now, the amount of things that they must do really isn't that much when you compare it to a service dog. When we look at service dogs, and we're training service dogs, there are a ton of behaviors and commands that we ask of them. Um, you know, things to, to use their body and to manipulate their body, to position themselves to where someone can have assistance getting up or down off of a chair. Um, they must be able to go grab items in another room, open doors and cabinets, close things, turn on lights. Some will assist with rolling people over or picking up their legs to help them on the wheelchair. There are so many things that a service dog must do that keeps their handler, their recipient, alive. And, you know, they have to be able to go get a bottle of medication when asked to do so with very little hand signals or very little command from that. So I ask, if you have a service dog who is trained to do so many tasks, why we can do that in a positive manner, but yet you believe that a police dog, because they're doing apprehension techniques, must be trained using aversives. When we look at the scenarios that dogs would be used, the majority of your police dogs are going to be in the same scenario. Um, But... When you look at a service dog, service dogs are not always going to be in the same scenario when asked to do a specific task. And they must be trained to do it in absolutely every scenario that they may encounter. The bottom line is that they're both working dogs. They're both required to do many things in many environments. And they are trained to listen immediately to commands And a lot of times they are used in life and death situations. And when I trained search and rescue dogs, we trained our dogs in in life-saving situations. If our dog was not trained appropriately, that dog could miss a live person, clear an area, and then if that person was there, uh, ending up passing away and it becomes a recovery mission. And so... You know, it really doesn't matter what you're training dogs to do. The bottom line is is that aversive techniques are not needed. 
and most trainers that use aversive techniques do so for many different reasons. I would say first and foremost, number one reason would be that they do not understand dog behavior and understand dogs in general and that they are just wanting a quick fix to show off their dogs with obedience. Which brings up the second point, and that's ego. And that's basically saying, look what I can do, look how awesome I am, look how quickly I can get a result. I have literally listened to my clients tell me how trainers have promised them results in one session, promised control in two weeks. Um, But the thing is, is that what they're doing is they're basically using aversive techniques. They're trying to stop the external behavior and they don't understand the internal emotion and the motivation behind the behavior. So first reason, they don't understand dog behavior. They don't understand actually how dogs learn. Second, their ego, they want to show off about how amazing they think they are. And when I watch trainers who take their dogs to an, uh, a city fair or some type of event and they're walking their dogs through the crowd off leash and people are looking at them and their eyes are so big and they're like, wow, I want my dog to do that. But if they look closely, they are wearing shock collars and the handlers are carrying remote control. And I watched as one gave a command to the dog and the dog did not respond and therefore it got shocked. And so, is this really impressive? No, it's not. It's not impressive that you walk down, you know, the street during a festival and try to show off how amazing your dogs are, but yet you're using aversive techniques and shocking them when they don't listen to you because they're not going to listen to you. Because using an aversive technique is basically teaching a dog how to avoid the shock, not exactly what they need to do. And these dogs were not enjoying themselves. They were walking with their heads low. Um, They were, you know, kind of looking over their shoulder, like when's the next shock or vibration or, um, you know, warning going to happen. And the thing is, is that the warning and the fact that they're wearing it, whether if you use a, a, you know, big shock or a small shock, it really doesn't matter because at that point, it's now becoming emotionally harming and not just physically harming. And emotionally harming and mentally harming is a lot worse. And that dog not knowing when the shock's going to happen is actually more painful and causes more problems than the actual vibration or low shock. So it's, a, it's more of a mental game and an emotional punishment than it is anything else. So when people say, well, yeah, I put the shock collar on me and, and you know, it didn't hurt. I could barely feel it. Okay, but if you walked around with that all day and you didn't know when it was going to go off, your anxiety would slowly start to creep up. And that's what aversive techniques basically do to a dog. So what is our third reason? Third reason is basically that they are promising results to owners to get their business and they can't deliver without using aversives. So, you know, that's kind of the big issues of why people are using aversive techniques. And, and so as a consumer, as a dog owner, you really need to do your research. You need to get past the, oh, we guarantee this, we guarantee that, we'll take your dog and do this, or you need to be the alpha or dominant, or, you know, whatever, 
dominant being they're going to tell you to be. I literally had one the other day said that the trainer said they had to be Clint Eastwood. That makes no sense to me. I don't know what they're trying to accomplish by taking people and turning them into harsh individuals. And luckily these people are like, that's not me. I can't do that. I mean, we have enough negativity in this world that we don't need to be training people to act like bullies to our dogs. That's ridiculous. And, and you can see I'm probably, you can probably hear how passionate I am because I just think it's, it's just sad. It's just sad and I really want people to understand and educate themselves that, you know, if you run into a trainer who promises you, you quick results, then they're telling you that I don't really understand dog behavior. I just know how to stop something from happening. I just know how to stop barking. I'll just put a shock collar on. Oh, I can stop your dog from lunging at other dogs. I just put a prong collar on them or a shock collar. And every time they do it, I'll jerk on the prong or I'll shock them. And that'll stop. Yeah, you'll stop the external behavior, but now you've increased the internal emotion and the internal negativity that that dog now has when other dogs are around. Congratulations. You've stopped that external behavior, and now we have 12 other issues that we need to deal with. Now the dog is lunging at children, skateboards, bicycles, mail trucks. Before the dog never did that. Well, you're just not being tough enough. You're not using the shock correctly. Now, those are called fallout behaviors. Those happen because of a training technique. If you're, you know, if you're looking at a trainer and, and they say, well, you know, we look at every dog and, and you train every dog differently. And, and some techniques work with some dogs and some techniques don't work with the other dogs. The bottom line is, is that operant conditioning, positive reinforcement works with absolutely every dog. Um, not to say that there aren't certain situations and scenarios for life-saving that an aversive might have to be used. However, that is not a default, and it should not be used immediately. Um, every other technique should be used before any type of aversive is being used. Um, and especially when I see, you know, these little 10, 12, 15-pound dogs being walked around on a prong collar or a choke chain. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, my trainer said I needed to get it. If you can't walk a 12, 15-pound dog, then we got problems. And that trainer obviously has problems if they automatically assume they need to put a choke chain or prong collar on a 15-pound dog. There's just other ways to do it that's more positive, that will not be fearful for the dog and not require the owner to have perfect timing. Owners are not going to have perfect timing. And aversive techniques only work if you have perfect timing and you should only have to do it maybe four or five times for it to work. If you have to do it more than that, then it's not working. You're not teaching what you're supposed to. And people don't have good timing. Most professionals don't have perfect timing when it comes to aversive techniques. Which again means that you're going to be teaching behaviors or punishing behaviors that you didn't mean to. So it's just a really bad idea. And professionals should not be defaulting to that and using those techniques. So if you're looking for a trainer, you need to find someone who uses force-free and who looks at the motivation behind the dog's behavior and not just at the behavior itself, has you involved in the training, not just them training the dog, but you have to be involved in the training. You're in a relationship with this dog. You just don't send the dog away to get training and expect everything to be hunky-dory. That's not going to happen because your behavior has to change because you have a new organism living in your home who now depends on you. And y'all do not speak the same language. 
So you both have to learn each other's language and you both have to learn how to respect each other at where you are and what you are. And you have to be able to work together as a team. I can do anything with the dog. I can go train a dog and do whatever. But it doesn't mean that dog is going to be a good dog for someone. If I can't change the human, the dog doesn't have a chance at living harmoniously with them. The human is the greater species. We must be teaching them. So there's my little rant on the letter K in the number nine training versus canine training. It's all dog training. And it should be more about people training. Stay away from people that want to put their egos out there. And, you know, when you see people walking around, walking their dogs off leash, don't be impressed unless you see that there is no remote control in their hand and there's no little vibration shock box on their collar. Then you can be impressed. Then you can go talk to them and see who they used, if they used anyone, if they're a trainer themselves. But do not be impressed with anyone carrying around a remote control to shock their dog for doing the wrong thing because it's lazy, it's egotistical, and it's just not appropriate. So, that's what I got. It's probably not your most favorite podcast, but I felt like it needed to happen because I've had a lot of clients spend a lot of money using these trainers, and then guess what? They still come to me. And now, instead of just fixing one or two problems, now we have a whole host of issues and their dog's not even the same dog. Now I know some of you may be listening say well then those people using a versus aren't using it right. There's no using it right when you're sending it home with the dog and the owner. Like I said if aversive technique is going to use if I was going to use an aversive technique let me use an example. Let's say that I want to teach my dog to leave um, a snake alone and I want to to basically teach snake aversion therapy. That's basically what it is. I'm basically saying that, hey, when you see a snake, it's a really bad thing for you, so you need to run in the other direction. And let's say that I've tried all the positive techniques and nothing has worked and my dog is actually in danger from getting a snake bite because of whatever, let's say, for search and rescue work. Well, let's say I need to use a shock collar then and have to use the shock collar because I need the distance control. Well, If I'm going to use that to prevent my dog from going around snakes, then I should only have to zap, and that's what it is, let's call it what it is, zap my dog four to six times when they approach a snake and then reward when they come away from the snake. Lots of praise away from the snake, pain when you're at the snake, reward away from the snake, pain at the snake. I should only have to do that four to five, maybe six times for my dog to go, you know what? It's just not worth being around that snake. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to get rewards. Then I should be able to take the shock collar off, not carry remote control and not have to worry about my dog dealing with the snake. I should at that point trust my dog that when he sees a snake to turn around and go the opposite way looking for a better reward. That's how aversive training should be used and that should be used in a life-saving situation After everything else has been done. Now I have worked my dogs in search and rescue. I've actually worked three in search and rescue and recovery. And we've worked a lot of very deep woods. And I have never one time used an aversive technique to keep my dog away from snakes. I've used positive reinforcement. I've used good verbal and vocal commands. So, you know, it can be done. But but that was just an example of if if I had to use it, that's what it would look like. Not, well, 
Now to keep my dog from snakes, I gotta always have a shock collar on them. No, not true. So do some more research if you need to. Go and, you know, watch how they train, see if their dogs can do anything without um, shock collars uh, and aversive techniques. Ask them how they correct behavior. And the last thing you want to do is don't send your dog off for training. Do not send your dog off to be trained by another person for two, three, four weeks. There are too many bad things that are happening, and it's just now coming out. Don't don't think this is new stuff happening. It's been happening for years, but it's just now getting out there, and social media is getting it out there. Don't send your dog off to be trained. That's not going to help your dog. It's not going to help your relationship with your dog. If you don't have the patience to train your dog, you don't need a dog. If you don't have the patience to deal with the behavior that your dog exhibits, the normal behavior, I should say, not not behavioral issues, but normal behaviors like puppy biting and pottying in the house and learning how to walk on a leash. If you can't, if you can't do those things, then you don't need a dog. Okay, they're not robots. They're not just these perfect little creatures. And I, and I don't mean to be harsh, but it's just a, it's the truth. Because my job is to make sure that dogs get what they need, that they're the best dogs that they can be, and to make sure those owners understand who they are and have the patience to deal with them on a regular basis and put in the work. Just put in the work. If you don't have time, then don't do it. All right, so that's all I got. I'm done ranting, and I appreciate you listening to it. Please share this because I really want people to understand the difference and to not be tricked into the, oh, I train the number K and the number and the letter nine. Oh, let me get that backwards. The the letter K and the number nine, I train those type of canines. So that's just how we do it. And if you don't want your dog to be like that, then we're not the right training group for you. Crap. That is crap. That is crap. Okay. So just pass this around. Don't let people get caught up in that. Don't let, uh, you know, people send their dogs off and get punished and be put in pain and and mess up this relationship that they want to have with their dog. So please share this podcast. And, you know, if you have questions, if you, um, you know, have any anything you want to add, again, feel free to shoot us an email. I'm, I'm here to listen. And if there's a podcast you'd like to listen more about, uh, send us some ideas. And I'll be happy to look at it and, and see if it's something that we could do for you and educate you on. And, you know... Always, if you are looking for a trainer in your area, there are directories that you can find online for positive trainers, and there are many positive organizations that are around that use positive techniques to train their trainers, and so you could check some of those out. Um, But again, stay away from anybody who wants to put a prong collar on your dog, who wants to put a shock collar on your dog, and who says that that's the only way to do it, and that that's just the way that, you know, police dogs are trained and that's what they do, or that's military dogs, that's what they do. I'm just, I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not into that. So you have a pet dog, it trusts you, it believes in you, it wants to have a relationship with you and y'all need to do it together as a team using positive techniques and learning how to communicate on a regular basis. All right. I think I've said it enough. So you guys have a great, uh, great rest of the week and I hope to, uh, have you back here for our podcast next week, which I'm really not sure what we're talking about next week. I think I'm going to go on into the um, teaching commands, how to give commands, how to follow through with commands, basically just how to get your dog to listen. Uh, so I think that's what we're going to talk about soon. And then Gray, our other trainer, is putting together 
a podcast right now on CBD versus hemp oil and how to use it in your dog and what to use it for. It is something that we use on a regular basis. So we will be um, having that podcast hopefully in the next uh, three to four weeks. So definitely stay tuned for that. Be sure you follow us um, anywhere that you listen to the podcast. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. See you, Dog Speak Geeks.